0: Blog Talk Radio. Kevin.
1: My minions. My name is Tom Mark LaCell, Presidente. Time to kick this thing off on Memorial Day weekend. Uh certainly uh honoring those that have uh, given us the freedom to have this show. As as crazy as this weekend is, we typically would be doing our uh, field of thirty three uh special, but we're we're not uh, not able to do that that's because there's no cars on the track there's no nothing on the track but hey you know i still had my carb day from home uh yesterday so it was all good and then uh we'll certainly be uh talking more about the indianapolis 500 in our last segment and by the way we are at two hours today we've got a great lineup mo for the bs sports show is going to help us kick things off and then uh, Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, going to uh, jump on and talk to us about the return of NASCAR. NASCAR's had a busy schedule this week, and we'll continue on uh, through the weekend, so we'll, we'll get uh, his thoughts on that. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, SI.com, joins us uh, to talk some uh, NFL, NFL preseason, and as we get closer and closer to the NFL season. And then uh, Matthew Embry, who typically does join us for the uh, field of thirty-three, will join us uh, on uh, at uh, at the last segment of the show to wrap it, up, help us wrap it up, and put a bowl on it. And uh, we'll be talking about the Indy 500's past. Uh, we'll be talking about the, this coming up, Indianapolis 500, although it's in August, and just kind of be talking, you know, because uh, this is Memorial Day weekend, and this is the Indianapolis 500 weekend. So we're going to be spending some time uh, breaking that down. My name's Tom Marquis, El Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network, 917-889-8516 is my digits.
2: Tonight.
3: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
2: I, it, I, I can't believe it. I've been playing 4-on-4 with a barbershop quartet.
0: Ba, 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 pass the
2: ball, ba, ba, pass the We're open, just pass ba, ba, the
4: ball. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico.
2: Yeah. Shoot Shoot the
0: Skycar could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Morning, face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning,
2: Good morning. guys. Good morning. What is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Right! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mates. Ow. That what in my eyes. We're
0: moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some.
3: Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA. Love your home.
1: All right, and welcome back to the balance nine one seven eight nine eight five one six. And our digits joining us now to help us kick things off is Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, how is you, sir? Uh,
5: I'm alive, so. Hey,
1: man, you know that's saying something. Each and every day, I I gotta say that I'm I'm uh, alive, even though it feels like, man, some days I feel like I'm got all kinds of energy, and in the next days it's like I'm just drained. I'm ready for all this. Uh, To be over with it feels so weird not being down at the track this year uh, doing the Indianapolis 500 stuff today would have been the parade uh, and then tomorrow's uh, would have been the race but it's coming in August so there there is there is hope in in the the future Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the things going on in sports obviously. we uh, we saw that the passing of uh, Jerry Sloan uh, passed this this year certainly one of the winningest coaches in NBA history. What what do we want to ta- what do you what, what can we talk say about Jerry Sloan that's on your mind?
5: Well, I mean if you if you look his his tenure uh, as a coach in Utah is a long time. We don't see coaches
2: easily <laughs> mm-hmm.
5: uh, in a job that long anymore. So. Uh, you know Jerry Sloan spent uh, a lot of time in Utah. Uh, <clears throat> took on uh, Jordan and the Bulls a couple times and wasn't able to uh, wasn't able to get over the hump. But uh, uh, you know, good coach did uh, a lot with uh, with not having the uh, the best of players unless they were drafted. to Utah it was harder for Utah at that time to to really get themselves top line free agents. So uh, you know Jerry Sloan did a lot with what he had to work with there.
1: Yeah, and I, I tell you what, he certainly does go. It goes back to the days of, uh, we we, we talked about uh, Michael Jordan, and and he goes back to the coaching uh, of those days, even though he didn't coach Michael Jordan, uh, but certainly uh, one of the the longest, most recognizable names uh, that you can that you can probably uh, think of when it comes to uh, coaching of the NBA. So uh, sorry to hear about the passing of, of Jerry Sloan. Now, speaking of Michael Jordan, I have started it and then stopped it because i got busy doing stuff now so i'm gonna say though i really like it it's starting off really good i really do like it um i I have got finished the first episode yet but it, it's it's they say it's a documentary but it's more like an autobiography so maybe it's a a combination between the two but you know i got to thinking i think i was thinking man it'd be kind of cool if, you know uh, some other uh athletes would do something similar to this or maybe they have uh so i've compiled a list you tell me uh what what you what you think would be if if another athlete was to do something similar to Michael Jordan in the last dance and uh, certainly feel free to add to the list but in, in, I think in my top five Michael Phelps probably being the most winning in this Olympiad of all time uh, certainly had his issues uh, away from the Olympics as well uh, but uh, also uh, certainly one gold medal after another uh, to, to watch his story what would be your thoughts
5: uh, I mean you know I think watching his uh, his Personal life stuff would be all right. I think for most people though, they they don't find swimming that that uh, intriguing. So I think that part would be a hard sell. You know, you look at the Jordan Bulls in basketball. Uh, you know, team sport. Uh, I mean, I think Phelps is it was an intriguing guy, but he's disappeared now. You know, pretty much from the spotlight. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, as much as he won, yeah, that part would be intriguing. But the there wasn't really the big downfall. You know, the, the team wasn't broken up. So I, the plot would be hard for me, I think, in that one.
1: So um, this, he he kind of did this already in his own little, um, uh, own little uh, video uh, YouTube videos that he did, but he could probably expand on this. I would uh, honestly say you have to add to the list. I and mean, as much as maybe as I disdain this person, you'd have to add Tom Brady to someone that would be able to do – that would be able to pull off a last dance type of uh, a documentary or autobiography or
5: – Well, ESPN is doing a 10-part Tom Brady uh, documentary. They're working on that actually right now. So there will be a Tom Brady one for you to uh, enjoy.
1: Well, there you go. We'll have to see how that goes. Peyton Manning, come on now. you got to say that Peyton Manning is going to be on that list.
5: He would be, but he doesn't allow people into his private life, so that one would be hard. You know, Jordan was a mm-hmm. guy uh, who didn't before, really, either, and he really sat down and let people in to this, and, and Peyton is so guarded that that would be hard. I agree with you, it would be extremely fascinating, but in order for it to work like Jordan's did, Peyton would have to sit down and, and finally open up and uh, let, let people into his personal life, which he doesn't do. And so that aspect of it would be hard.
1: No, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, as m- much time as he spent here in Indianapolis, uh, we very, very rarely got a glimpse of his kids. And that was much after the time of his retirement and, and, and gone from uh, the, the, the Colts and NFL. And we, we'd start to see his kids. His, his wife, Ashley, I believe, we saw very little – of her so yeah he did lead a very private and very sheltered uh life but um he's got twins for a lot of people who don't know that uh but uh yeah definitely what well, what about
5: his brother eli i mean i'd it'd be about as excited as watching paint dry uh eli <laughs> is person. you know he, there's just
2: uh,
5: there's is there anything about eli you really want to know i mean you know it's uh uh, it, it, there's just uh, I can't find anything that's going to me enough to sit down and watch that unless there was nothing else on.
6: <laughs> let's maybe this have been a good time
1: to, to air that. Well, but let's take it let's take it uh, that question a little bit further. Then, what about just the Manning family in the football legacy?
5: Uh, you know, I think that would be interesting. But again, are they going to get personal enough? That's what really made. Mm-hmm the last dance documentary was Jordan finally sitting down and opening it up. It's something he never did throughout his career, uh, but, you know, getting personal and and sitting there and talking about the death of his father and talking about uh, the fights he had with teammates and talking about, you know, other, other players and, and, and really talking about the, the disagreements with bulls management. I think that's what made the documentary. We already knew the story of, of, them winning the championships, talking about the gambling and, and leaving to go to baseball. And, uh, you know, the personal stuff of this documentary is what really made it. And, then again, I, I think the main story is, is extremely intriguing. But him, his lack of opening up about his personal life, I think, wouldn't make that a hard sell.
1: Well, my the top of my list, I think, would be just a, an absolute – if not equal to, uh, as uh, um, very close to this, and that would be Tiger Woods. look at the life Tiger Woods has had. Then he had his his struggles of coming back, and then his struggles with addiction, and his struggles with uh, sex addiction, and then uh, coming back to win the Masters again. uh, A full circle of Tiger Woods, I think, would just be, If if nothing else, and maybe they've already done it and I don't know, but if nothing else, it'd be a great uh, 30 for 30 episode.
5: Yeah, you know, but here's another guy, too, who, (laughs) I mean, you know, up and down the the list, he's, I mean, there is so much intriguing stuff to talk about, uh, but he's somebody who, who, you know, because he started at such a young age, has been sheltered and not talked about his personal life or his private life. You know, we've seen all this stuff unfold, but never really sat down to hear him talk about it. Even his apology that he did way back when was terrible and awkward. So, the story is fascinating. The using him, I don't think he would be personable. Or it would just be awkward. Uh, so, again, I think a hard one to do. The the story uh, is fascinating, but unless he's willing to really sit down and talk about it, I, I I'm not in on it.
1: You know this might be kind of morbid because it's still maybe uh kind of fresh on a lot of people's mind but you know kobe bryant bryant's death obviously was highly unexpected um but if we remember of his final season he had a film crew follow him around constantly and that footage has never been never been aired um certainly called himself the mamba and um he even uh you know they they were there to record that he won you know two two rings so without shaq um, uh, Kobe Bryant it, it might be a little early for that but but Kobe Bryant uh, could certainly have that type of impact when, when we're talking about uh, this particular
5: topic. yeah he uh, I mean there's a dude that was intense like <laughs> he showed up the year before his last season when he was hurt he showed up at the facility uh, the day the day before the trading deadline and people asked him what he was doing because he was still on the uh, and said, you know, he just came to see some of you sorry-ass bums and won't be here tomorrow who were traded. So, I mean, there's <laughs> a dude that uh, was, was pretty intense, and I, uh, that one would hook me I, I would watch that all day long.
1: You know, I am. I have to admit I'm not the biggest um, uh, tennis person out there, so um, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of, of tennis, but you don't have to be a tennis fan to know who's Serena Williams. And I think if there's anyone that's equipped to tackle uh the legacy of the female athlete uh not just a, a tennis player uh certainly uh serena Williams would be one of those we'd wanna see that story about
5: yeah I think I'd rather be lit on fire uh I, 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 <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot stand serena williams i, I have a, i don't know why I I's a strong <laughs> dislike for her but uh there there is uh there is no room in, in my house to, that I would ever sit down and watch that in.
1: So that's a hard no, then. We'll take that. We'll mark that down as a hard no. Yes. Yeah. Derek Jude,
5: Jeter, the
1: 14-time All-Star famer and World World Series champion, certainly the face of the New York Yankees in the 90s and the 2000s. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Derek Jeter?
5: That would be interesting to me because there's so much you want to know because there's another guy. Uh, who was extremely guarded, and, and with the New York media, that's that's extremely rare, and they kind of just love, left him be. You know, we hear about the gift baskets he gave to girls so they wouldn't talk about it after they spent a night with him. So, I mean, Jeter's a very fascinating story that I would love to uh, to hear because there's just so much we don't know because he's the only figure I can think of in the New York media that's played there. They kind of just left alone, and uh, you know that, that to me is fascinating in itself. So, uh, yeah, Jeter, I'd be all in on.
1: You know, and and, and this is uh, there's people you're the the person that you love to hate the most. I guess I, I Danica Patrick I think would be a neat story. Although she she was in NASCAR, she was in IndyCar. She only won one race, but she became one of the most marketable faces NASCAR's ever seen.
5: Uh, well, you know, I would, I would put (laughs) her in the uh, Serena Williams category. I, 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 that's another person that I I just cannot stand. I I remember a headline, uh, from when I was doing a show back, probably 2000, probably 2013. And I still, it still pops up in my memories on my Twitter account, but, uh, is Jimmy Johnson wins the Daytona 500 that he had shared the headline. Uh, Jimmy Johnson wins Daytona 500, Danica Patrick eighth. Like, when is there any other time that ESPN has <laughs> mentioned who was eighth in the headline of who won the, the Daytona 500? And I, ever since that day, I, I just, you know, I was so pissed. If I was any of these other drivers, I'd be like, well, how can we never mentioned that I finished eighth? So uh, I, I cannot yeah. stand her.
1: Well, she was she was a different, different animal, and I know she's with NBC now, and we'll see uh, how her career moves forward. But, uh, yeah, she was certainly uh, uh, very abrasive. As the uh, I, I remember a, a one time uh, being in the elevator with her at the media center at the track and just basically made a comment in passing me, and she just kind of looked at me and then looked back at the door and said nothing. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that's how you're going to be. That's how you're going to be, I guess, so. It is what it is.
5: Yeah, I, so, I really like I like Ricky Stenhouse Jr. now just because he's not with her.
2: <laughs>
1: so does that mean now that you ha- now you gotta hate Aaron Rodgers because he is with her?
2: <laughs> well,
5: I I hope she ruins his career too. Yeah, I, I cannot stand her. Like if, if there was one sports person I could get rid of today, she might be towards the top of the list.
1: So one more one more person here, I think who had an interesting uh, life on the field and off the field, and that's Brett Favre.
5: Yeah, you know, and he's a dude who's pretty open uh, about stuff, so that one could be a pretty interesting one. The uh, <clears throat> the problem is, with him is, you know, it tends, and, and it's, it's such a sad bias, but people tend to have a hard time watching a documentary about with somebody with a southern accent, and I don't know why that is, but for <laughs> so long it's been a hard sell for tv networks they they yeah, tend to stick away from people who have a deep southern accent when they're when they're doing uh, <clears throat> shows or, or documentaries like that and it's not right but i don't know people t- and you know he lives a pretty slow life now uh so that one uh, i i think would be interesting but i think it would be hard to be married just because there's a, there's a, uh, you know, a New York East coast type bias to where they tend to stick away from, uh, from people with, mm-hmm. uh, with deep Southern accents for some reason. It's a
1: valid point. It's a valid point. Well, speaking of the South, Kalen Newton, brother of uh, Cam Newton is following in his brother's footsteps to play football at Auburn after all. Uh, and then Newton, uh, whose older brother Cam won the Heisman trophy as we know at Auburn went on to play uh, and win a Super Bowl and, uh, have a, an NFL career that we still don't know where it's going to end at. At but uh, Kalen Newton going to Auburn as a legacy.
5: Well, technically, we want to follow his brother's footsteps. He'd have to go to Florida first and steal some laptops, and then get yeah. kicked out and go to Auburn after his dad got paid for him to go there. So, yeah, I mean, you know, is uh, I I don't know that if I was Kalen that I would want to follow in my brother's footsteps just because why not carve your own path? You know what I mean? Like I, I, I appreciate people who do the legacy thing, but for me, you know, I would want to carve my own path, do my own thing. And that way I'm not compared to my brother nonstop with every step of my career. So, uh, you know, hey, kudos to him, but if, if I'm him and I'm doing it, I'm, uh, I'm probably looking at, uh, at going somewhere and doing my own thing. And, and, and maybe he doesn't last there with the entire uh, eligibility. Maybe he winds up transferring uh, at some point, but, uh, if it was me, I'm 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 covering my own path somewhere else.
1: So the Seattle Seahawks this week uh, reached a deal with former Houston Texans running back Carlos Hyde. He's 30 years old, get, got one years uh, for, I want to say a million dollars. I don't have it right here in front of me, but uh, that seems like a lot for a one year deal with an old quarterback.
2: Yeah, I
5: mean you know you look at uh, you look at uh, Seattle, they tend to. <laughs> to kind of do running back by committee, uh, you know, Chris Carson, Bryce Penny, they've got, they've got guys who can't stay healthy. And that's, uh, I think, been the big worry in Seattle. And, you know, you saw Russell Wilson's quotes yesterday. Uh, he's desperately uh, trying to get Seattle and the NFL to work it out. He wants Antonio Brown on his team as well. And uh, you had Antonio Brown with DK Metcalf in that, uh, that running game. Uh if they figure out a way to uh, get Jadavian Clowney back, that could be a, a very dangerous team next year. Uh, as long as they can protect the quarterback, that's what they struggled at last year was was protecting Russell Wilson. But uh, you know, Seattle's looking like they're trying to load up and and become a power out west again. There's a there's a bunch of good teams in the west, and and they're trying to uh, get back and try to kind of dominate uh, the west again.
1: Well, the Seahawks were talking to Devontae Freedom Freeman for a one year deal, and. I guess that they decided to move on from him and go on with Hyde. What what do you think the logic behind that was?
5: Well, you know, Devontae Freeman said yesterday, he's willing to set up the entire season. And and unless somebody hits his number, he's looking for a a big payday. Uh, He realizes as a running back uh, that, uh, you know, snaps are limited in the NFL. If you're a running back and you get a chance to get that one big contract once your rookie deals over. And that's what he's looking for. But unfortunately he didn't have the best of years last year and his last year. And so, uh, Atlanta said, see you later, and, and he said he's willing to sit out the entire year uh, if he doesn't get the number he wants, but sooner or later he's going to realize that he's not uh, Le'Veon Bell, and, and that may not work out for him. So I think sooner or later you'll see him playing for somebody, but uh, he said he's willing to sit out if nobody hits his number that he wants.
1: Well, the New York Jets sweeped up Flacco from the when the Broncos released him for one year, $1.5 million, and has the opportunity to make another $3 million with incentives is Flacco a has been or does he still have some gas in the tank
5: No he's uh, 100% a has been but I think the thought of this for the Jets was is definitely have a veteran uh, in that quarterback room with Sam Darnold you know a guy who's won the Super Bowl uh you know a guy who's who's been around for a long time and I, I think that's the only reason that he's there in in New York I don't think he sees much playing time unless Sam Darnold gets hurt or has a five-week mono uh, case again. But I think it's mostly, you know, they haven't had a real strong veteran uh, in that quarterback room, and I think that's the only reason that they're paying uh, Joe Flacco the money at this point is to have him there to try to help Sam Darnold along.
1: So MLB is still dragging their feet about getting uh, uh, games going. I, I think they could get games going in Florida, for example there should be no reason why they couldn't be returning back to uh, spring training. I know that they're going to present the players with a new economic uh, proposal next week, but it, it, we, we've talked about it before, but the MLB had better get this
5: right, or they're going to lose a lot of fans for a long time. Yeah. And they don't have a Mark McGuire, so Sammy of to try to get people back, you know, they tend to screw things up uh, every time, you know, and, And after all the struggling people have gone through with being furloughed or losing their jobs uh, through this, they don't want to see millionaires and billionaires arguing about money. And, uh, you know, baseball can't get out of their own way. They continue to shoot themselves in the foot, and that's why they went from being uh, the national pastime to, you know, being third in this country, I I think, in sports at this point. So, uh, you know, the NBA, they've worked it out, and they've been behind closed doors instead of, you know, letting it play out in the media. Uh, it looks like they've got a plan in face the, the uh, NHL and the NHL players association. They've worked it out they're They've got their plan ready. Uh, the NFL is getting their stuff together and major league baseball is the only one when it should be their time to shine when nothing else is going on and they've, uh, they've screwed it up again. Uh, and that's honestly not a shocker. So uh, who knows if we have baseball this year and to be honest at this point, who, who cares? <laughs> Well, it'd be good just to get get it back,
1: but you know, seventy two years ago, they did have baseball, and Joe DiMaggio hit three consecutive home runs, the first off with off of his uh, first two off of the fellow uh, Hall of Famer Bob Feller, who led the Yankees to six five win over Cleveland in the opener of a doubleheader. So there you go. Seventy two years ago, uh, we remember uh, Joe DiMaggio.
5: Yeah, and then in the uh, third game of the night, he parked his bat in Marilyn Monroe, so it was a
4: good day for him.
2: <laughs>
4: this is very true. This is very true.
1: Mo from the BS Sports Show, what do you got going on uh, th- uh, this weekend for Memorial Day?
5: Uh, a poker game. So that's that's my Memorial uh, Day plans, and then uh, the uh, the kiddos and the wife want to have a uh, a, uh, uh fire out back so that's what we'll be doing oh there you go
1: sounds like fun I'm going to be smoking some ribs tomorrow uh, I'm going to be making some steaks tonight uh, doing my share of uh, race day drinking at home <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens but it's uh, certainly going to be a low low key weekend and and uh, back at it again from home on on Tuesday mid June probably be returning to the office so uh uh We'll, we'll see how how that plays out. Where can people find you working masterpieces, sir.
5: Oh, you know, every now and again on Twitter at More Radio Show, but it's <laughs> uh, it's it's been a while. You know, I I've become like the um, I've become the Serena Williams of Twitter. I I seem like I don't really care, and nobody really cares about what I have to say. So I've become the Serena Williams of, of Twitter.
1: I get the feeling the same feeling sometimes myself. Uh, but all right, Mo, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Have yourself a good weekend. I right, buddy. too. Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know we, we we've had, we, we got to get some sports back, right? We've got to get some uh, we've got to get some things back in the back in the move. <laughs> My name is Tom Michael Sal president saying NASCAR is back. Steve Wilson is back, also from Speedway Digest, is, is scheduled to join us here in the next half hour uh, to talk about the return of NASCAR as it returned this week. Had a busy schedule and look back. And yeah, what did the Fox say? We'll get we'll get to the bottom of that question as well.
6: Midnight tea top jack in her cherry coat pan. Mama and daddy put the roots right here, cause this is where the car broke
2: down. Yellow dog school bus, kicking up red bus, kicking us up by a barbed wire fence. MTV on the RCA, no AC in the vents. We were Jesus, same me, blue jean baby, born in the USA. Trailer park, truck stop, faded little map dots.
3: The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities, The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
2: Okay, okay. I can't believe it. I been playing four-on-four with a barbershop quartet. <laughs> ba, 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 pass the ball, ba, ba, pass, ball. pass the rod. We're open, just pass the ball.
4: Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico.
2: Yeah. Shoo, shoo, the jay, 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 jay.
0: I could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Morning, face You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning,
2: morning. guys. Good morning. Ah, what is oh, that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Right! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mates. Oh, They're in my eyes. We're
0: moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to
3: get some. Get 20% off IKEA Salt and Mattresses. IKEA, love your home.
6: Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire.
1: All right, welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marcos, El Presidente. Thanks to Mo from the BS Sports Show. <clears throat> Joining us for the first half hour to help kick things off. Joining us now is Steve Wilson from uh, Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. We're talking about the return of NASCAR. Well, first of all, uh, Steve, how are you? Happy Memorial Day weekend to you, sir.
7: Doing well. How about yourself?
1: Oh, fantastic. I'm I'm ready to it just feels so odd that we're not going to be at the track this weekend and i know you were planning on coming up uh, for this race too and uh yesterday would have been carb day today would have been the parade tomorrow uh obviously the the race uh so it's uh it uh, feels weird that we're going to be doing it in, in august but so what are your thoughts about just the environment of racing with nascar and and IndyCar in, in, in lieu of everything that's been going on it's good to see NASCAR back we'll get into some of those uh here in just a moment uh races that happened this weekend and what's going to be happening uh, I mean this weekend what's going to be happening this weekend but what are, are your overall thoughts on you know just the condition of racing and how how we find things right now Well,
7: I think it's uh, you know we're in a different world that we live in today and uh You know, than we were just a couple of months ago, so it's kind of strange to see these events being run with nobody in the grandstands and hardly anybody in the garage. It just kind of feels, I mean, it feels weird. It's a weird experience, just, you know, not only to see this on TV, um, but, you know, racing is back, and, um, you know, we at least have that to look forward to as, as the series starts spinning their seasons up here in the next couple of weeks um, you know uh, hopefully you know at some point in the next couple of months or before the end of the year we can start getting some fans back in the stands and I think the sentiment even from the drivers that have won this past weekend at Darlington you know they noted the fact of you know how just uh, how weird it was to celebrate without you know those fans and those fans out there just kind of really mean a lot to them and you know the energy that they put into, uh, you know, the celebration and uh, cheering the drivers on.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I say what, it was kind of exciting. But we, we had a kind of an interesting event uh, this week uh, with a, a rain delay, which may have helped TV ratings somewhat. Uh, it went from a 6.30 race to like a 7.30 race. And then the race came to an end, um, kind of an odd... Sort of way. First, uh, we had a fox on the track, and then while they were trying to get the fox off the track, it began to rain again. By that time, it was official, and Kevin Harvick won that race. Kind of, kind of crazy things. Uh, uh, it's not not often that you see a fox on the on the um, the track, and uh, you know, uh, send a tweet out to you know, saying, Hey, uh, Fox is doing some product placement in this, uh, in this race. So <laughs> what were your thoughts on, uh, Darlington, obviously getting underway this week and we move on to Charlotte this weekend, Will there be fans will be allowed in the fan, uh, in the stands and turn one condos.
7: Well, um, I, I think at Darlington, it was a good place to come back. It's a very competitive racetrack. And we saw that this past weekend, uh, with, uh, well, this past, last weekend and then even our midweek race, um, you know, with uh, Harvick and Hamlin winning uh, the two cup races uh, uh, over about a three or four day span there, um, you know, being able to, be able to go back there, I think a lot of people think just back just 18, 17, 18 years ago when Darlington lost their second race and um, they're their, their their five hundred was moved off of Labor Day weekend and a lot of people really thought that, that Darlington was going to go the way of the dodo bird at some point and that seemed to be where the shift was going and today it seems that Darlington is the savior of NASCAR's season to return back to so we're, we're running three cup races there and I don't think anybody uh, 17, 18 years ago or so would have ever thought that we would be Three races, a cup races at Darlington ever again, and here we are. Um, but you know, uh, I, 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 going going forward, and you noted the fact that there's some some fans that will be able to see racing uh, in the condos. I'm kind of torn onto this. In one regard, I understand that you know they they own these condos, and you know they. Have the property rights, you know, through the HOA to go in there, Um, but at the same time, it's hard to say. Well, these people have spent half a million, million dollars or whatever, and they get to see the race while other people have to sit at home and uh, watch it on television. So, I think there's two sides to that coin that um, can be discussed, and you know, there's going to be some there's going to be some people that are going to be annoyed at the fact that they are going to get to see these races, and then there's going to be some really elated people that happen to know somebody that owns one of these condos that uh, get to be one of the first people to watch racing again.
1: Well, Wednesday night also had some more drama. Let's talk a little bit about this incident between uh, Chase Elliott and Kyle Bush. Uh, the long and short of it all, I believe Chase wrecked Kyle uh, uh, Kyle Busch come around and he would not get into the ambulance so he flipped off Kyle Busch. It was a big issue. A lot of people think that Chase Elliott could have won this race had it not been for this. I think NASCAR is not going to take any further actions but let's kind of walk through that incident and, and what, are you, what are your thoughts as a as a fan and as a someone who reports on the sport?
7: Well, um, I think I read that right at the initial onset of this incident it was uh, very clear that Kyle Bush was uh, a groove, a groove and a half off of Chase Elliott and there was really no reason for him to um come up into the to the top groove. I understand that the top groove is uh, around Darlington moves a whole lot quicker than the bottom groove and you lose a lot of time and speed trying to run that lower line around the track but um, you know, Kyle explained afterwards that, you know, he was looking in his mirror and watching the run happen not only with Elliot in front of him but the run coming behind him at the same time while listening to his spotter and thought that he could duck up into that that groove so that, you know, he wouldn't continue or he wouldn't lose position. So um, I don't necessarily think it was intentional. I think um, I'd take it at the face value of that. Um, but also, at the same time, I think, you know, he was pretty far off of that groove at the same time. But those two have talked it out. And, you know, even after the race, Kyle Bush explained, you know, exactly what he was trying to do. And, um, you know, Elliott, obviously justifiably, was, uh, you know, angry at Kyle Bush for, for spending and wrecking him and ending his night like that. Um, he had a very strong car. I think you're right. He could have won. Chase has won in the Xfinity Series car there before in his rookie season. So um, you know, justifiably, he was angry. But those two have talked, and uh, Elliot understands Kyle's position. Kyle understands Elliot's position at this point. I don't think you're necessarily going to see the two of them go out there and beat one another around too much more. I think they'll just leave this alone and see it as a one-time incident. But uh, honestly, I don't. Like I said, I don't think that he meant to wrecking, But at the same time, I think he was pretty far off the groove uh, trying to duck into uh, a gap that was closing very quickly.
1: Well, this isn't the first time we've had issues uh with Kyle Bush and his brother kurt Busch, bush for for that matter, so there always seems to be like when something happens on the track it it feels like it seems like that there's a bush involved somewhere
2: <laughs>
7: yeah i i think uh I think you can look back over a lot of different incidents and uh you know sometimes uh <laughs> Yeah, sometimes sometimes these two bush drivers they like to play the kamikaze pilot, and uh, you know they try and dive into uh, gaps or uh, fill a hole somewhere that they, you know a car can't necessarily fit in, and ends up with one of these incidents. But I think uh, uh, you know they they're very competitive as as these two are as, as drivers, they're extremely competitive, and uh, you don't become race car drivers by you know being the uh, 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 you know, not taking risks or not taking chances, so maybe they take a few more risks than other people, and it just doesn't work out as often, or other people take more risks, and uh, it works out better for them, so I don't know whether the which case it may be, but, um, you know, I think uh, you know, I think a lot of people get angry at, at Kyle Bush and, you know, sometimes just so for, uh, I guess, some of his actions, and, you know, but he's He's a heck of a race car driver that uh, I always say that you put a steering wheel in his hand, whatever it may be, and uh, he's going to go up there and give 110% of what he can do, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And um, I don't know. I think it's just because, you know, just the perception of, of the two Bush brothers. I think if the roles were reversed, and let's just say it was Chase Elliott, um, you know, that was in Kyle Busch's position and did, it spun Kyle Busch out. Uh, I think he'd have a lot of fans that probably cheering Chase Elliott on versus uh, being too angry at him. Let's
1: we'll talk a little bit about the Xfinity race. Certainly Chase Briscoe won the Xfinity race uh, just days after his wife had a miscarriage. So to say that he had an emotional week was a, was an understatement. So certainly that was one of the top storylines of the Xfinity race.
7: Yeah, I think it was pretty emotional in the fact that, you know, he, uh, you know, well, all that he was dealing with uh, couldn't be there that day when they found out that he was in Darlington for the race that eventually got postponed to Thursday night, and, um, you know, he, he went out there and he was pretty much in the fact of, uh, you know, saying that it was one of the hardest and toughest weeks of his life, and thank God in his plan um, that everybody, that there's a plan out there for him and his life, and, Thanked everybody between the garage and the fans and everybody on social media that it reached out to them and shared their stories and condolences and mm-hmm. um, you know it uh, I I think it was a it was a it was a win for him and a win for you know that whole you know him and his wife at the same time to to be able to go out there win that race and just see how much support that they really do do have
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I will point out that he's from Mitchell, Indiana. So he's a fellow Hoosier on top of that as well, and he certainly uh, did some racing here at Indianapolis as as well in um, uh, the the dirt races uh, track races that we had here um, as well. So uh, congratulations to Chase Briscoe. But let's talk a little bit. What do we got going on in the schedule this week, uh, weekend, and, and week coming up week
7: in the NASCAR series? <clears throat> <laughs> Well, you know, if you weren't bored last week, you know, with everything going on, uh, you definitely won't be bored this week. Starting tomorrow, <laughs> the right? to Coca-Cola 600 NASCAR's the longest Um, uh, that we're gonna run at Charlotte, followed by the Xfinity Trucks, and then Cup again over four days next week. So we're gonna be running the first four days, and then you only know, got like a two-day gap before they go to Bristol. So I mean, you know, there's uh, I don't know what they, what they, there's something like uh seven races in 11 days or something like that. I mean, the calendar is getting packed out pretty pretty much uh, for the next month or so. And I think in the next 20 days or something like that, there's something like 14 or 15 races over the next 20 days. So um, there's plenty of racing out there for people if they want to sit at home and watch some racing and see some live sports on TV for sure.
1: Well, they're in Charlotte this weekend, break down the Charlotte track, and, and obviously it's one of the bigger tracks. It's the home track of NASCAR, if you will. Uh, it's certainly a, a fun track to watch. They can run day or night there at Charlotte. So uh, what do we got coming up at Charlotte this
2: weekend?
7: <clears throat> well, tomorrow night, as I said, it's going to be the longest, NASCAR's longest night with 600 miles that they're going to put around there, 400 laps on the 1.5 Mile. Uh, track there in Charlotte, so um, you know this this is this is a marathon event. Um, you know this is goes back to the days of uh, you know we're pitting man versus machine, and you know, this is a four plus hour race, touching al- almost close to five hours. Um, that these these guys are going to be in the car tomorrow, tomorrow night uh, around Charlotte, so. You know, the mechan- from the mechanical side of it and all the way down to the physical side of the driver. I mean, these drivers are going to, it's going to be an exhausting night as it always is. It's going to be hot like it normally is and that's always good for the cars where they get to the slip and slot around and create a little bit more action out there. And So, uh, you know, for, for tomorrow night um, you know, I, it kind of sucks that, you know, people don't get to watch Monaco in the morning and maybe in the, the afternoon, but uh, you know, for all those People out there that are looking for for some racing again, um, tuning into Charlotte tomorrow night. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people typically cross over, and uh, you know, we need, we we get a lot of F1 and Indy fans that you know watch a full day worth of racing events and put their eyes on NASCAR. So I think uh, we'll uh, hopefully some of those eyeballs will come back.
1: So are the Truck Series back this weekend as well?
7: Uh, they they're gonna run on um, Tuesday. They're gonna run on Tuesday. Um, so uh, okay. Monday, uh, sorry, Sunday is uh, Sunday. Tomorrow night is uh, the Cup race, and then on Monday, uh, Xfinity, Tuesday Trucks, and then Wednesday Cup Series again.
1: <clears throat> well, Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano, Alex Bowman, Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, Eric Armadella, Armarella, Martin Truex Jr. and Matthew Dedabeto, D- D- Bet- Bet- D- and Clint Boyer round out the top Doc. ten. What say you, sir?
7: Well, Hamlin, so far, is the only uh, two-time winner this season uh, for uh, uh, anybody in any of the series. So uh, uh, he's uh, he seems to be strong already this season. Uh, Kevin Harvick uh, won on Sunday night there at uh, Darlington. So he uh, leads the point series, uh, points at this point. Um, He's the only driver also that have finished top ten in every event so far this season. Nobody else has done that. So uh, I think you got a couple strong drivers up there in the front, but uh, it's going to become golden really, really quickly. Um, and I, we're going to see what uh, some of these drivers are really made of. Uh, you know, none of these – really a lot of these current class of drivers aren't used to running these kind of events so close together. So um, – uh, I, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna see some of the uh, I think we're gonna see some interesting uh, some interesting fluctuation in the top ten, um, pitting some of these veterans and younger drivers together, and just the way that the schedule is made up, you know, trying to fit these races in at the same time, it's gonna it it's really gonna uh, uh, change the mentality of some of these drivers, and I think uh, the strategies of the teams uh, as a whole are having to change them. Um, uh, conditioning and things like that that these drivers normally don't uh, have to. Well, they do have to think about it, but not on the scale that they're having to. Uh, I mean, these guys were just in the car on Wednesday, and now they got to go jump 600 miles on Sunday, and then back on Wednesday again another 500 miles. So you know, <laughs> it, it, it's going to be pretty crazy. So you know, these drivers, I think we'll see some fluctuation when it comes to that. Um, and I think uh, I think some of these uh, veteran drivers are. Uh, I, I I think they probably kind of realize what they've got going, but you also got some young drivers that can probably sit in those race cars. And I know Kyle Busch was planning on running like all seven events over 11 days or whatever it was. So um, look for him. I mean, he's going to be pretty tired on his own. So we'll have to see how the performance on that side uh, affects him, both in the Cup cars and the uh, extended in trucks.
1: Moving on and over to the Affinity series, uh, Chase Briscoe, uh, Harris Burton, A- Austin Cendrick, uh, Noah Gregson, uh, Ross Chastain, Justin Algier, Ryan Sage, uh, Justin Alley, uh, Brandon Jones, and Michael Annette all round out the top 10. It appears that Chevy seems to be the dominant manufacturer in uh, the Affinity, and Ford seems to be the dominant uh, manufacturer over in the Cup
2: Series. <clears throat>
7: Yeah, uh, you know, when it comes to X finishes, I mean, we I think we only have like something like two Fords and four or five Toyotas that enter on a weekly basis. So, you know, Chevrolet pretty much gets the lock on when it comes to that. You know, I don't really understand that. I guess uh, somebody better than me can explain as to why these teams pick Chevrolet over Ford or Toyota, but maybe equalize the feel out a little bit more. But, um you know, we're getting to talk about some drivers that you know. Last year we talked about three drivers. You know, it was Tyler like Reddick and uh, Christopher Bell and uh, <laughs> uh, Cole Custer. Sorry, I had a brain meltdown for a second. And since those drivers have moved up to the Cup we're going to be talking about some different drivers this year. And uh Chastain is going to run for the. Championship this year. Uh, he tried to run some Truck Series championships, came up just a little bit short last year, and he's got college racing with help from Richard Childress Racing. They're going to help them out. So uh, I think you're going to see a pretty strong driver in him um, this year. Well, Chase Briscoe has already won, and uh, I, you know I think some of some of these drivers right now are, um, you know, it really is becoming a you know, name is made here series, and, and maybe we're going to move. Better diversified uh, winners that come out this year, and hopefully that's the case. And you know, we don't talk about the same three drivers all year next, but in this area,
1: yeah, absolutely. Sorry, it had sucked a cough drop all the way down my throat, dude, man. But let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about what's going going on over in the truck series. Uh, certainly, the truck series have, have a limited season, as you mentioned. They're going to be kicking off on Tuesday. Uh, what can we look for in the return of the trucks?
7: Well, man, these guys have been off for longer than the truck series or Xfinity series. I mean, they they only have like uh like two races in. So you know, they. I think that uh, right now it's really hard to gauge how the season is really going to play out for them um there was 47 trucks that was uh entered to come in to this weekend but um with the covid and the pandemic and everything nascar has expanded the fields in both the xfinity and truck series just for the immediate term and uh we're going to have 40 trucks out there on tuesday night um you know we haven't seen 40 trucks on a racetrack in uh I'm not even going to pretend to know the answer to that one, but it's been a while since we've had that many trucks, Um, you know, equal uh, uh, a Cup Series field out there on the track. And, uh, unfortunately, seven drivers had to go home, and some drivers uh, like Eric Jones that, um, you know, didn't have the points is not going to be able to start on Tuesday with no qualifying. So that's uh, sending some drivers home that I think we could have – you know, seen some uh, really interesting racing out of them, but uh, hopefully they'll return back um, in the next couple of weeks or so when uh, we do get qualifying or you know NASCAR figures out a different procedure, or comes up with a different way of lining the field up. So, uh, uh, but either way, I'm pretty excited to see what 40 trucks looks like around Charlotte Motor Speedway, and uh, I think it'll be really competitive because I mean there's uh I mean, he's obviously got Kyle Bush in the field, so you know he's going to put on a show and. He won last year in 2019, so uh, I would look for the same out of him again.
1: So we, uh, in the last uh, segment with, with Mo and the BS Sports Show, we were just kind of talking about the Michael Jordan, The Last Dance <clears throat> documentary or autobiography, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Have you seen that yet?
7: No, I haven't.
1: Okay, well, the, the reason for the question was because some one of the things we were having a conversation about is – is the uh, ability to him to tell the story about his life and the footage of his life. And we were kind of talking about uh, different athletes that it might do fit well. Have you ever seen the 30 for 30 on ESPN? Yeah. Okay. So if you were to pick one or two NASCAR drivers over over the period of history of time, uh, who would you think would be the most uh, entertaining, or the or the most hook, or the or the one that you would like to see most if they if they picked a NASCAR driver to do a life story like that. Oh, Lord
7: have mercy. Um, hmm, that's a great question. Uh, huh. You know, I would like to see <laughs> so many stories. I mean, I can. Uh, yeah, I mean, do I just have to pick one? No,
1: you could. I have a two or three on my list. I was just curious on what what your thoughts were.
7: Uh, well, I think I was like the uh, Curtis Turner. He's a good story that I think uh, uh, with him uh, helping build Charlotte Motor Speedway, also being part of the uh, the drivers' rebellion that got banned from NASCAR for for quite some time. Uh, I think Smokey Yenick, uh a guy that butted heads with NASCAR for. Uh, for pretty much the entire time that uh, he was alive um, with him and the France family going at it. Um, And I would like to also see somebody like Kelly Alvaro or um, David Pearson's story too. But, yeah, if I had to pick like two, I I would start with probably Curtis Turner and and, uh, Smokey Yenick because they're both very colorful characters within the sport and they have some... uh, The the storytelling behind it would... um, not only the storytelling, but the history behind it all is uh, pretty interesting.
1: Those are very good uh, very good options, and I didn't have them on my list. But I did have Kyle Petty, and I did have Dale Jarrett. What are your thoughts on those two?
7: <clears throat> I think Dale Jarrett was he as a kid. I, You know, he was the first driver I ever recruited for. I remember when he won um, the Daytona 500 the first time in 93 uh, as driving the uh, – Judge's racing car, an uh, uh, interstate batteries car, um, so I do remember that. Uh, I remember one he won the championship in 99, uh, as well as the Daytona 500, and won the Daytona 500 again a couple of years later, so um, <clears throat> I've always been a fan of him. Um, I always thought that he's a very down-to-earth kind of uh, driver, that um, him and his dad both, uh, you know, they've mm-hmm. always been very down-to-earth drivers and both their stories. I think if you intertwine both those stories uh, with Ned and Dale uh, both at the same time, uh, I think it could make a very compelling story um, just on them coming from the Hickory, North Carolina area, Um, you know, uh, just being just, like I said, down-to-earth, kind of, you know, didn't forget where they came from kind of people. And uh, even today, even Dale Jarrett today is still kind of that um, down-home, didn't forget where he came from kind of person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Delta would be a great, great one. Well, uh, Steve from uh, uh, Speedway Digest joins us uh, talking about the return of NASCAR. What do you guys got on your docket for Memorial Day weekend?
7: Well, you know, though, we've got all kinds of stuff coming you know, up, four days of racing that um, we'll be covering um, from the Cook 600 tomorrow all the way to Dallas, go 500 on Wednesday. So it'll be a busy time for. All riders
1: um, at Speedway Digest. Fun times, and to think we we should be uh, writing about IndyCar this weekend. This should be the IndyCar
2: weekend. <laughs> Same. 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 But that's okay.
1: That's okay. Yeah, coming in August. Yesterday I had my uh, car- uh, carb day from home. Cranked up some Ario uh, speed wagon and sticks and beer and. <laughs> Speed Speedwagon, and Sticks—who was, who was <laughs> supposed to be at the the concert? Uh, so, and uh, so we'll have to uh, do that tomorrow as well. And, and maybe uh, here local, they're doing uh, they're running the races uh, from 2016 and 2019 on Sunday, and then all day today they're going to be running classic races on on, on the air. So <laughs> you'll still be able to hear the race car. Uh, races and you can certainly hear that also by downloading the app 1070 The Fan Steve Wilson where can people find your work and masterpieces
2: sir
7: you can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter facebook.com speedwaydigest and speedwaydigest.com alright
1: buddy have yourself a good weekend we'll talk with you soon
7: alright thanks a lot take care
1: Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, brings, uh, breaks down some NASCAR action, back on the track. My name is Tom Marcos, El Presidente. Coming right around the corner is Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and SI.com. We're going to be talking some NFL yet today, right here on the Balance Radio Network.
2: I am the shadow.
3: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
2: Okay,
4: okay. I can't believe it. I've been playing four-on-four with a barbershop
2: quartet. Ba, 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 ba. Pass the ball, ba, ba. pass the rock. We're open, ba, 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 ba. just pass the ball.
4: Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico.
2: Yeah. Shoot. Shoot the
0: i could save you 15 percent or more on car insurance morning face you get is when you don't sleep well this is what happened to linda morning,
2: good morning. guys good morning,
0: good morning. Good morning.
2: What, what is god. that thing it's me linda oh my god it talks no it's me linda from hr it looks hungry save the children save them stay back i've got mates ow that went in my eyes we're moving
0: it's called beauty sleep for a reason And there's never been a better time to get some.
3: Get 20% off IKEA Sultan mattresses. IKEA, love your home.
1: All right, and welcome back to the balance. One hour in the books. Thank you, Mo, from the BS Sports Show, for helping us kick things off this morning. Also, thank you to uh, Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. NASCAR is back on the track with a lot of racing going on this weekend and through the uh, uh, this weekend through the weekend. Although we should be down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this weekend and, and having the Indianapolis 500 tomorrow. How weird is that? That we've never. Ever missed a, a, a Indianapolis Five Hundred since its existence, in, except during World War II, in the month of May. Joining us now is Ed Kratz, beat rider for the Philadelphia Eagles. dot com. How are you, sir?
4: I'm doing well, Tom. Yeah, it's uh, strange, I'm sure, being out there in Indianapolis and not having oh, man. the Five Hundred. And then yesterday was the Carb Day.
1: Would have been the carb day, I should I say? And and uh, so, Journey and Sticks was supposed to come and be in a concert yesterday. So man, mm. so I just cranked, I just cranked up some Journey and Sticks and drank beer yesterday, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> had it? Yeah, had isn't that some kind like every day though.
1: Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I, ch- I changed the music, uh, the, the the music list a little bit. That's uh, for sure, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're we're excited nice. to get to racing back. In August they'll be back in, in at the Indianapolis five hundred, so uh, it's gonna be different to have it in August, but it, it is it is what it is. As we slowly uh get ready to come out of uh, uh uh, uh, out of this, whatever this that we're in, <laughs> this aqu- Aquapolis, this, this end of the world uh, that that we're in. That's, that's for sure. Well, let's, let's let's talk a little bit about the Philadelphia Eagles. I know the Eagles are eyeing some free agents, Freeman, Hyde, and McCoy. If I'm not mistaken, Hyde signed with the uh, Seattle Seahawks, if I'm not mistaken about that, but I could be wrong about that. I know they just signed somebody. We were just talking about it earlier on today, but uh, you guys are looking at some uh, running backs in the free agency.
2: Yeah, uh,
4: Carlos I signed with the uh, Seahawks last night Um, uh, and he got, you know, pretty pretty handsome amount of money there. I think it was about $4 million or so for the season with some incentives, which uh, that's a little high, I think, for the Eagles, what they're looking to pay and, you know, so that kind of narrows their market, their search to really uh, two players, the um, McCoy, who, you know, the Eagles have been there, done that <clears throat> probably doesn't have a whole lot left. And especially when you consider that, you know, he, he finished the season with the coach who drafted him in Philadelphia, Andy Reed uh, and Reed didn't even make him active for any of the, of the postseason games that the chiefs played um, this past season. So I, you know, that kind of tells you a little bit, I think about what the McCoy has left um, but, you know, that, that's still a possibility, and you have to wonder how cheap. Like I said, you know, Hyde, I think, was too expensive, and uh, the Eagles don't want to spend too much for this position. Uh, and Devontae Freeman is the other name that uh, is still out there, but now I guess he's saying that, you know, I, the, the Seahawks offered him the same amount of money and the same deal that that was too low for him. He wanted more, uh, and now he's saying he's willing to sit out the season if his demands aren't met. You know, good luck with that 28-year-old running back who – sits out of season, would be coming back at the age of 29. Um, I don't think he's going to get more next year than he would have gotten this year. He should have taken the Seahawks offer because I don't think anybody's going to pay him more than what Hyde got. And that includes the Eagles. They're just not going to spend that kind of money when they have, you know, Miles Sanders sitting there as, you know, someone they've talked about as maybe being the next Christian McCaffrey. I think that's, you know, a little over, overdoing it at this point uh, after one season, but, you know, Sanders does have that skill set. To, uh, to put up numbers. I mean, you know, he ran for almost a thousand yards last year after off getting off to a slow start, not really playing much because he was a rookie still learning and he had 50 catches as a running back out of the backfield <clears throat> over 500 yards, which is, which is crazy uh, numbers. And he had six touchdowns. So he's got, you know, I think his ceiling is still pretty high. Um, so the Eagles aren't going to go out and get a, a, a really expensive running back, but I think they do need somebody to kind of come in and, uh, provide a little bit more depth than what they might have right now.
1: So, how's that to tie into your quarterback situation? We know Carson Wentz is the starting quarterback, but certainly uh, there's been some rumblings that they're going to uh, try to uh, wiggle in Jalen Hurts alongside him and, and and get him some playing time and some uh, playing, even though that Carson Wentz is, is the starter. And that's very similar to what the Baltimore Ravens did with Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco
2: yeah
4: and Marty Morningweg was the uh, offensive coordinator uh, in Lamar Jackson's rookie year so he was the one developing those packages and it's not a coincidence that Marty Morningweg is back in Philadelphia where he spent a lot of his coaching career um, but he's back as a senior offensive consultant whatever that is Um, (laughs) so he'll I've got all these coaches these assistants with these crazy offensive titles. They don't have an offensive coordinator, but they have a senior offensive consultant. They have an offensive consultant, Uh, you know, just, it's so diluted, but anyway, uh, you know, so I could see Marty putting together a package for uh, Hertz to come in and kind of do what Jamal or Lamar Jackson did in Baltimore. Um, You know, Lamar Jackson had a, did, did some throwing and some running when he spelled Joe Flacco. And then when Flacco got hurt, I think after the ninth week of the season, Uh, Jackson came in and took over and the Ravens never looked back. So uh, I don't think that'll happen with Wentz, but you know, Wentz has got that propensity to get hurt. Um, But right now, and Doug Peterson made a great point. We talked to him, the head coach earlier in the week. And he said uh, that I think in his case and a lot of teams cases that you're going to really have to rely on your veteran talent that you have on the team, your experienced talent, because there's not going to be much of an off season, obviously, Uh, on the grass as he put it there's not going to be a whole lot of grass time um, initially for these rookies and even maybe in some cases free agents who are coming into a new system Um, so you're going to have to rely on guys that have been there and that's going to impact a lot of guys across the NFL these draft picks that teams had and there's all these high hopes and expectations for I think they're probably going to have to be tempered a little bit until they can come in and uh, actually get some on-field stuff run around see how they look see how they Uh, drill what they're learning in the classroom and um, that's not going to happen until training camp and who knows what training camps are going to look like so uh, initially teams are going to have to count on their experienced players and for the Eagles at the backup quarterback spot behind Wentz that means Nate Sudfeld the kid from Indiana you know Mm -hmm. um, IU is going to be probably the number two uh, and Hertz will be the number three uh, but one difference is this year you can keep 48 players active under the new CBA arrangement. You can keep 48 players active on a game day roster, which is up from 46. Now, one of those has to be an offensive lineman. So that really leaves you one open spot. So if the Eagles develop a role for Hertz where they do use some gadget type plays with him, then he could be that 48th guy that they keep uh, up on the roster On game day. So uh, I think they probably drafted him maybe with that in mind, the increase in game day active rosters, uh, and with the idea that he probably won't be our number two coming in because that's Sudfeld who's been here four years now in Philadelphia and knows the system. Um, But we can still keep Hertz active on game day and maybe run him out there for a handful of plays.
1: Well, and we'll see what happens. But you know, a lot of a lot of uh, early early bookings, if you will, a lot of early sayings are saying Carson Wentz has all the makings of being a 2020 uh, MVP player.
4: Yeah, I mean, he. You know, I would expect him. Uh, and again, health is such a big part of, you know, his narrative that uh, if he can play all 16 like he did last year, he didn't get hurt until that you know, early in the first quarter in the playoff game. But if he does go 16 again, I mean, he threw, he broke the uh, franchise's single season record for touchdowns in a season back in 2017 with 33 touchdowns. And he did that in 13 games because then he tore his ACL. So, you know, he was ready to kind of that record even higher. But I think he's a guy that can certainly throw for 33-plus touchdowns again this season. Um, and, you know, he's got more speed. He loves to throw the deep ball. He throws a nice deep ball. We've seen it uh, when he's had the time and the receiver that can get open. When Deshaun Jackson was healthy for the season opener last year, he got two touchdowns of over 50-plus yards. Um, So I I expect that Wentz will be in the conversation uh, for MVP. But, you know, there's a lot of candidates for that. I saw now that, you know, I saw someone, I think it was Bucky Brooks on NFL.com, Pick Skylar Murray as his candidate mm-hmm. to be the MVP which to me I, I don't see that but you know you, you never know how <clears hand throat> it's going to unfold but yeah, I think Wentz can certainly be, uh, be in that conversation I expect him to have a really uh, a really good year I mean he's had good years when he stayed healthy and if he stays healthy I think he'll I think he can throw 40 touchdowns I really do
1: well, last week uh, we had an opportunity to get through most of the a- NFC, and we didn't get a chance to get to, to, through to the AFC. So let's kind of start in on the AFC, just kind of look at their strength of schedule and kind of look at where, where we're going to be at with them and we'll try to break down each one of these. Uh, the AFC East, obviously, uh, all eyes are still on the New England Patriots uh, in post-Tom Brady era. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, uh, New York Jets, who just signed Joe Flacco, and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, what will say you in the AFC East?
4: <clears throat> yeah, I well, I think it's Buffalo right now that probably I would put at the top of, that, uh, top of that division just because they seem to be the team that's up and coming. They made the playoffs last year. A lot of it's going to depend on the development of their quarterback, um, Josh Allen. Is it Josh? Josh Allen. Um, a lot of it's going to depend on the development of their quarterback. Um, you know, I love their head coach, Sean McDermott. He's a Philly guy, grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, uh, former wrestler in high school. got to love those guys. Um, so, he, uh, you know, he's got that team pointing in the right direction. Now, you know, they had a little hiccup here in the offseason. Ed Oliver got uh, busted for DUI last Saturday night and carrying a pistol and, uh, you know, getting into trouble down there in Houston. But, uh, you know, you hope that that's not going to be a cultural, anything damaging culturally in that locker room. I don't think it will be the Bills have done Um, and I think with the Patriots obviously losing Tom Brady to Tampa is gonna you know you're gonna wonder who's gonna play quarterback I mean I know they've talked up the kid from Auburn's Jarrett Stidham as being the guy that can step in they signed the veteran Brian Hoyer you know maybe he starts initially or he's he's a backup in case Stidham falters but it's hard to go against Bill Belichick and what he's done but it's going to be interesting to see uh, how he does now without Tom Brady. And it's really exciting to see that because you've always wondered who was responsible for the Patriots success all these years, Brady or Belichick, Belichick or Brady. And now, you know, we're going to get a chance to see uh, who does better this year, next year, and maybe beyond that, depending how long Belichick coaches and Brady plays. But um I wouldn't discount Belichick. I think he's a very, very good coach, obviously, Hall of Fame coach. So uh, even though I put the Bills at the top, I wouldn't discount the Patriots, but I think they're at number two in that division. And then uh, the Jets, you know, they're having problems with Jamal Adams now, the safety who wants to be traded uh, because the Jets don't want to sign him until the season begins or re-sign him to a new contract. So, uh, again, there's some, you know, there's some, uh, I don't know, some disruption in that organization with Jamal Adams. Uh, but I don't know. I, Sam Darnold, maybe he makes that next step, and the and the Jets can kind of uh, come in and put some pressure on those top two teams. I think they are probably finish third. And then the Dolphins, even though the Dolphins played fairly well last year in a rebuilding year, especially late, I mean, I know they beat the Eagles when the Eagles went in there. The Dolphins had nothing to lose. The Eagles were playing for everything, and they beat the Eagles. So uh, the Dolphins, and they got better. You know, it'll be fun to see how Tua uh, Tagliavoa uh, progresses. Uh, I think he's the number one selling NFL jersey right now, the number one from Miami in both colors, the aqua color and in the white color. Uh, I think those two jerseys are the number one sales in the NFL right now. So they're going to be exciting with Tua. We're going to see how Tua does in uh, making that transition from, you know, studded Alabama into the NFL. So that that's an exciting division to, to really keep an eye on. But I think Buffalo – is the best, and that's a really long-winded explanation of the AFC, so sorry. To <laughs> <you>. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's, a, that's what we
1: need. Uh, AFC yeah. North, you got the Baltimore Ravens, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, Cleveland Browns, and the Cincinnati Bengals, yeah, without howdy Yeah, the
4: Browns.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, howdy-do, do down in uh, Jerry land, Jerry world. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, Yeah. Joe Burrow, again, you know, number one pick. I mean, these these are exciting players to watch and see how they progress. I think the Bengals will be a little better. I don't think they have all the pieces in place yet. Uh, You hope Burrow doesn't get, you know, the the daylight speed out of him behind an offensive line that needs work. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, so the Bengals and then, you know, obviously the Steelers should – who knows, really, now that you think about it. With Ben Roethlisberger, how he's going to come back and – you yeah, know he's certainly uh, showing his age, maybe quicker than a lot of these older guys like Breeze and Rogers and and uh, Brady. But I'm not too convinced that you know Roethlisberger is going to make it through all 16 games. But I love that Steelers defense, man. That's a tough defense to play against. And uh, the Ravens, I think, are probably the top team in that division. And I and I can see the Browns maybe pushing to finish second and maybe try to grab a wild card spot. I know we say it the last few years about Cleveland and how much. Uh, they've gotten better, but I really think, I like the coach, Kevin Stefanski, uh, really good, uh, I think he's a good coach for them, and taking them uh, toward the top, I think, I think they'll finish maybe second, I think they can push for second ahead of Pittsburgh, I really do like uh, some of the talent they have on that team, I thought they had a good draft, Baker Mayfield again, wants to come back and you know, prove that he is better than what he showed last year. I think he's got some help up front on the offensive line. Um, but we'll see how the defense holds up. Uh, but I, I like the Browns. I think I think they could surprise some, some teams, and I probably said this last year about them too, but I think they can finish second ahead of Pittsburgh in that division uh, with Baltimore, I think, the clear front runner uh, to win it.
1: AFC South, a team, a division that I love dearly. Uh, Houston, Texas, Tennessee Titans, my Indianapolis Colts, and the Jacksonville Jaguars.
8: Yeah,
4: I see a lot of people are giving some love to Michael Pittman. The, uh, oh, yeah. The rookie receiver. He's got, you know, mm-hmm. some people think he he's going to, uh, could be the top rookie wide receiver in 2020, which is saying something, you know, because it was a historic class of wide receivers, six of them went in the first round, but they're saying Pittman has a chance to be, uh, at least to start his career, the best. And I think that has, to lot, has a lot to do with because this, the Colts really need him to have a, a good season next to T.Y. Hilton. Um, and, again, uh, what I talked about earlier with the rookies, you just don't know what they're going to be able to contribute early on. Um, it would be nice this time of year to get some reps on the field with Phillip Rivers Uh, And that goes with all the weapons that the Colts have is uh, adapting to a new quarterback. And they're not going to have that opportunity uh, other than in the classroom, which doesn't really matter a whole lot when you're a quarterback and a receiver and a running back looking to develop timing and chemistry on different patterns and such. But, um, you know, it could take a little while for the Colts to kind of rev up to get to where I think they will be at the end of the season, uh, which should be either one or two in that division. I know it's a very difficult division, you know, you had two playoff teams in that division last year, and the Texans and the, and the Titans. Um, and the Texans, they always show up, man. They're always they're always really good, and it, probably Deshaun Watson has a lot to do with that. Um, but they lost DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, that's going to be a really big loss, I think, uh, for them. Um, and it might be hard to overcome. So the Colts have a chance, if they can kind of develop quickly, I think they have a chance to push to be number one in that division. Then of course, there's the Titans. They brought back Tannehill. I know Tannehill had a terrific, you know, last half of the season last year, but it's hard still to erase the images of what he did in Miami, which wasn't much. Uh, Is he the real deal? Or was he just kind of a flash in the pan? I think that's a legitimate question. Um, Of course, Derrick Henry uh, is back and, you know, he's a workhorse, but can he have the same type of season that he did last year, stay healthy after absorbing all those hits um, we'll see. Um, I, I'm not convinced that they'll be what they were last year. Um, I think they could be one of the teams that kind of slips a bit, maybe in the third. Um, and then of course the Jaguars who stink. Uh, have no clue what they're doing. It's a nice little layup game for the teams in the in, in that division. So I think the Jags will finish last. I don't. I can't believe they're going with Gordon Minshew as their quarterback. Um, but it is what it is, and you know they'll probably suck enough that they could be in the running next year for the number one quarterback in the draft. It's expected to be Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, but but we'll see. But I like, I think the Colts have a real legitimate shot, depending on how quickly they can put things together in this uh, stunted off season uh, to win that division. I really do. I think I, I would probably put them my favorite right now to win uh, that division, with Houston second and Tennessee third.
1: Well, the AFC West by far has to be the clunkiest uh, group of uh, uh, toys of the misfit islands, if you will. Uh, (laughs) Outside of Kansas City Chief and Patrick Mahomes, I mean, uh, of course, uh, the the Raiders are now in Las Vegas. You never know what you're going to get with them. The Broncos have just completely uh, incinerated, and we'll see if they can rebuild, and and the Chargers are certainly – you know, haven't going to be starting their first time without uh, Philip Rivers, and he's going to be with the Indianapolis Colts. So, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, if, if all they do is just show up and go to work and do what they're supposed to do, they should win that division relatively easy. <clears throat>
2: yeah, uh,
4: I, w- I would think so. Um, you know, they're poised to kind of uh, start a little dynasty here, the Chiefs, I would guess. I mean, I don't think they lost a whole lot from that team, and you still have Mahomes, who's in his prime, and still on his rookie contract that they're I guess renegotiating right now it's going to be interesting to see what happens when he starts getting paid all the the big bucks that most of the good quarterbacks make that affects other positions on the team so um this is a real open window for Kansas City to continue uh their success um because they don't seem to have a whole lot of weaknesses on that team right now um they drafted the running back from LSU I think Clyde edwards Solaire who's supposed to be really good Um, Andy Reid said he kind of reminds him of Brian Westbrook when the two of them were together in Philadelphia. Um, So, yeah, I think it's the Chiefs. And then after that, you have to look, can any team make a push for a wild card spot? And we do have an extra wild card spot, I think this year in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, could it be the Raiders? You know, I mean, John Gruden uh, had his team positioned for the playoffs kind of late in the year and then went on a little bit of a slide and fell off the, off the map a little bit there, but you know, I think they've done some good things uh, these last two years in the draft. A lot of it depends on, you know, Derek Carr, the quarterback. They've got Marcus Mariota as his backup. So maybe if Carr doesn't get off to the start that Gruden likes, then maybe he goes with Mariota. Um, and then and then the Broncos, you know, they seem to be pretty high on Drew Locke, their second-year quarterback. And they went out and got him some weapons with uh, Henry – um, yeah, Henry Ruggs, and I think they got K.J. Hamler from Penn State. So, kind of like the Eagles, man. They added a lot of speed on the outside, and we'll see if any teams in the AFC have the cornerbacks to match up with that speed. But, uh, And then you have the Chargers, like you said, with the Phillip Rivers and not having him back and just not sold on uh, whoever they're talking about. Is it Tyrod, Tyrod uh, Taylor they're talking about there? Uh, I think that's who they you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't – you know, I know Cam Newton's still out there. I don't know why they wouldn't make a play for Cam Newton. Um, but they they seem intent on going with Tyrod Taylor, and I, I'm not sure that's a really good thing. And the Chargers have a talent at a lot of other spots, but at the quarterback spot, you know, I, I don't see anything more than average. And that's the most important position on the field is the quarterback. And if you don't have one of those, you're not going to get to where you want to go, I don't think. So uh, that's going to hinder them if they insist on, on doing that. I would I would sign Cam Newton if I was them, but we'll you know, we'll see if that well, happens. Well,
1: Cam Newton's little brother signed uh, uh, the committed to go to Auburn, so we'll see if he follows in brother's footsteps or or not. And there might be some of brother's footsteps he doesn't necessarily want to want to follow, but uh, we'll, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I wasn't
4: aware of that. So what, what's it? Yeah, what, I, I wasn't aware that Newton's little brother signed with Auburn. He, he's mm-hmm. a quarterback too,
1: huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had a, I think he had originally said he was going to go somewhere else, but they just announced this week that he'll be going to Auburn. So, see how that plays out. So, yeah. um, you know, back in 1998, they had a, a draft that a lot of people know very well here in Indianapolis. But believe it or not, a lot of people may not know this. This was a very controversial draft. A lot of people did not want uh, the Colts to pick up uh, Peyton Manning in the first overall pick and they wanted a guy by the name of ryan leaf now i am so glad that we did not go uh with him and he has had so many problems and in in the most recent one yesterday i mean on friday yeah yesterday he uh, got arrested for a -a misdemeanor domestic battery charge um was released on a five thousand dollars bail and that's just a another chapter of of uh bad moves for Ryan Leaf so I'm glad we did not pick up uh, Ryan Leaf in 1998
4: draft (laughs) yeah yeah that was the Chargers that took him and they obviously regretted that I mean that's he's got to be one of the biggest busts in NFL draft history at at Mm -hmm. least top five um, for sure I mean he looked like he had all the skills his size the arm coming out of uh washington state but uh just didn't have the head for it and peyton manning was probably one of the greatest picks of all time obviously when you look what he accomplished hall of fame career um but i think there were some other good picks in that draft too um i think charles woodson the cornerback from michigan came in that draft and i think that was also the year the eagles took one of their left tackles for the next 10 years was Trey Thomas out of Florida state. I mean, he was, he was tremendous. Uh, helped that team get to the super bowl uh, in 2005 for the Eagles. But um, you know, those are some, that was a pretty good draft in, in some levels, but other levels like Ryan Leaf and there were some other busts. I think Curtis Enos from Penn state came in that draft. I think he went to the bears in the top five and, you know, didn't have the career that he had in college. So that just shows you the, shows of the draft uh you know the ups and downs and the unpredictability of the draft you never know you know everybody so quick to put grades on these drafts as soon as they happen but you really got to wait a couple years and see how they play out
1: you know how a lot of times these national media guys they will uh go down these rabbit holes and just have things to talk about which is fine but i did hear one of these rabbit holes this week that i thought well You'd at least finally have the answer to the question who's the greatest quarterback or who's the greatest coach? If the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, whoever wins is the greatest of <laughs> said category. So if the uh, Patriots win, Bill Belichick's the greatest coach of all time. If if uh, the the Buccaneers win, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. <laughs> so <laughs> something to, you know, something to talk about, something to think about, and use your use your brain on. We'll see,
4: because they already yeah, got Tom Brady be, in the
1: in the Super Bowl anyway. So <laughs>
4: that's right, that's right. So who's he going to face? Is it going to be Belichick or Andy Reid or even the Bills? <laughs> I think the Bills are. To make a run, but yeah I, That's interesting, that'd be an interesting Super Bowl I, I don't think I'd care much for it since I'm not a big Fan of either uh, Bellachick yeah. or Brady, but um, It would uh, have TV you know, ready. we so would definitely have that <laughs> Yeah Definitely we have the ratings ES- ESPN's going to do one of those uh, Nine or ten part documentary yeah. Series on Tom, Brady, Tom Brady, Brady now After the success of The Last Dance and Michael Jordan Yeah
1: We were just talking about that with Mo earlier on, on Today it's Memorial Day weekend. What do you got on your agenda, sir?
4: Well, it's supposed to rain here in Philadelphia most of the weekend and be a little cool, so uh I just think it's gonna be kind of another uh just another weekend or another weekday. I mean they all kinda of run together now in this
2: <laughs> yes, quarantine yes. world. But I have a doll well, that will... turns
4: twenty tomorrow, so we'll probably find a way to celebrate that somehow, some way.
1: There you go. Well, I'm gonna right. make some steaks tonight and then um, on Monday I'm gonna smoke some ribs. Uh there'll probably be some beer drinking involved, you know. So we'll see. We'll of see. Of course. How it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got it all lined up. That's good.
1: That's right. All right, uh, Ed, where can people find your work your masterpieces, sir?
2: Oh,
4: you can hit me on Twitter at Kratz E K R A C Z E or uh S I dot com. Uh, you can go right to the Eagles page with a slash N S L slash Eagles and that brings you any any kind of eagle stuff you want to want to read about?
1: We have yourself a good holiday weekend, sir.
4: Thank you, Tom. You too.
1: Yeah, all right, buddy. All right. Ed Kratz, our official our official NFL contributor, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and SI Well, it is typically that today would have been our our uh, two hour special that we do every year with uh, uh, Matthew Embry, our uh, field of thirty three. We're not able to have that today for obvious reasons because there's there's nothing uh, going on on the track. But we are going to uh, dedicate the next segment, the next half-hour segment, if you will, uh, to um, uh, the IndyCar Indy 500. And uh, we're going to be right back, and we're going to get into that. My name is Sam Marquis El Presidente. Stick around. It's about to get good.
3: The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom.
2: I, it, I, I can't believe it. I was playing four-on-four with a barber quartet. Pass the ball, pass the we open, just pass the ball.
4: Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah.
0: Believe it. Skycar could save you 15% or more on car insurance. More unbelievable. Morning face. You get is when you don't sleep well.
2: We'll <music>
6: Indianapolis Speedway is a sentimental place for all its accent on technical excellence and harsh reality. That sentiment was personified by the much-admired owner of the track, Tony Holman who died last autumn. There's been a lot of speculation and some mystery this month as to who would succeed Tony to utter the words, Gentlemen, start your engines. New president Joe Clotier said he would not be the one, but he would not reveal who it would be. Well, most appropriately, it is going to be the widow of Tony Holman Mary Holman. There's Mrs. Holman now, obviously moved by this moment.
2: Lady, lady and gentlemen, start your engines.
6: A sentimental moment at Indianapolis, Mrs. Mary Holman. Another first for Indy. Not too many years ago, women were not even allowed in the pit. And now rates back. We continue our it's same-day coverage of the Indianapolis 500. It's time now for... The words that are so from familiar here, for years uttered by owner Tony Holman, now by his seat widow, seat Mrs. Mary Holman. Let's go down to Trackside now.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines.
6: The chairman of the board of directors, Mrs. Tony Holman, uttering the words, used to be simply, gentlemen, start your engines. Now, of course, it's lady and gentlemen, start your engines. In honor of Janet Guthrie, the only woman in the field, the only woman who has ever raced here. Look at A.J. Foy. A-
1: All right, welcome back to The Balance. It is our uh, Memorial Day Cars at 33 special, only abbreviated because, well, we don't have 33 cars to talk about. Certainly memories that we have Tons of memories, uh, with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I've spent the last couple of years out there with, uh, Matthew Embry, who's also our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, it, it just feels so surreal not being out at the track this weekend.
8: Well, unfortunately, yeah, things didn't work out. But again, the same thing is just the situation just didn't work out where it was plausible. But, uh, the good news is a things get back to normal. We'll be running again in August. So, uh, could be a more worse situation. Could have lost it completely at this point. So, but uh, I think you talked about the big question marks looking ahead to Texas, though. I don't know if you looked at the article I sent you about an hour ago, but mm-hmm. the clearance for athletes, foreign athletes coming to the States does not include race car drivers. So there's at least a couple IndyCar full-timers that could be without a ride for Texas based on that, unless things change real quick.
1: Yeah, we got that article up on social media after you sent it to us. So, yeah, that's going to be an interesting uh, – it's going to be an interesting twist uh, of events, and, and we'll see what happens there in June. But uh, let's kind of talk a little bit about uh, the Indianapolis 500 over the last few years. I know you and I have spent some time out there. Let's kind of just kind of talk about uh, if if we would have had <laughs> – uh, there's two things we don't have, but if we would have had uh, your, your power grid uh, – and if we would have had our cars F33, let's kind of break those down and where you think think they might have been uh, with the Indianapolis 500 in 2020.
8: Well, right now I think the odds would have said we would have had a two-time winner probably, whether it be an Alexander Rossi, a Pagano, a Power, et cetera, or Scott Dixon or Tony Kanaan, because. About the only non-winners, I think, that really realistically have a shot to win this year, one would be Joseph Newgarden, and the other, I would say, would have to be Ed Carpenter. But beyond them, uh, all the other potential picks are guys that have won it before, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, here's the other thing. I would have been interesting to to see how Roger Penske would have handled qualifying this year. As we talked about earlier on in the year when we didn't know that this was going to happen, that uh, there would be uh, ample uh, time for everybody to, to qualify. And there was also a very real possibility that we would have a very real bump day again this year.
8: What I'm guessing is going to happen is they will run the same time parameters on. They'll probably do it the same way they did last year. They won't extend the bump day. It will be just one attempt on bump day, one attempt in the shootout, and then the will find the regular way. So, unfortunately, there may be a reversion back to last year, what we had instead of the extended session where you have multiple chances to bump your way into the field. Well, let's just kind of go uh, through the, the stables,
1: and obviously the, the biggest elephant in the room is uh, Team Penske. Where are we looking at right now, Team Penske, as, as it stands right now and pretending that we would be having the 500? Where would we be looking at, and who would we be looking at with the um, uh, Team Penske?
8: Well, I'd say right now we'd have at least three good chances, and it just depends on what uh, – phase Elio is in at this point as to whether or not he is a realistic threat to win uh a fourth Indy five hundred. But I would say right now it'd probably be Paginal and Power would be the two favorites and maybe Newgarden if he can be a contender could be among them. But former winners having the best chance to win with the exception of Castro Nevis.
1: Oh I thought you were gonna say something else. Okay. apologize i was waiting i was waiting for you to 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 say something else now we do have uh indycar back in july i just want to make it clarify that it's not the indy 500 but it'll be the indianapolis grand prix uh which will happen in july fourth weekend along with nascar
8: what are your thoughts on that well i'll be interested to see how that plays out obviously uh you know, there's going to be some omissions from the field. Uh, Scott McLaughlin will be affected by that travel ban. As to that, his uh, commitments to Australian supercar racing, so he's probably not going to be involved. Uh, We will probably see Castro Davis. You may see a few other guest drivers join the field, potentially. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, it should be very interesting to see how things play out, but uh, again, the two dominant drivers have been Pagano and Power, and I don't think that will change uh, in 2020, at least in the IndyCar Grand Prix, or the Harvest Grand Prix, which comes later in the year.
1: Well, let's kind of go through some of these drivers and in their stables. Obviously, we, we just talked about uh, Penske, but uh, certainly a Penske driver uh, that gets a lot of attention, especially around here in Indianapolis, is Joseph Newgarden.
8: Probably, again, another chance. Uh, the only question in my mind, though, is he'll be a contender for the championship, no doubt, but can he win the Indy 500? I think that's the big question in my mind, and I'm still not convinced uh, he has the best chance for Penske to do that at this point.
1: Well, last year we saw an incredible finish at the track last year, and Simon Pagenaud did win the, the race. What are our thoughts on Simon Patijon? So I believe he lives in the United States now.
8: Yeah, he is lives in North Carolina near their home base, so the ban would not affect him. And I don't think it would affect, affect uh, Kanaan and a few others, Dixon, Ozenquist. The only two I think it would affect would be Palau with Dale Coyne and Rhinus VK, who are both not based or do not have a residence in the U.S. Uh, during the season. So, unfortunately, those two guys are the ones in peril looking at of Texas. But uh, Pagino good on ovals but uh as far as going for a championship i think he still needs to show an improvement on the road and street circuits
1: so what do we know about alio Casanovas? i think he lives in south florida so i don't think he'll be affected by that but will he be will he be running um with uh with penske in august
8: at the 500. I'm assuming he'll run in August and it may be his last chance at least to run the Indy 500. I don't think, though, with the spread out of the road course events, I don't think he'll compete in either of the Indy road course events because those may conflict with what uh, the plans are for, well, at least the Indy Card Grand Prix will because IMSA is running their opener on 4th of July weekend at Daytona that same weekend. So that's now the question, but uh, I, I'd expect at least a shot for him at the Indy 500 at least.
1: Well, James Henscliffe is Canadian, but he also lives here in Brownsburg uh, or close to uh, Brownsburg. Uh, so he would not be affected. But where are we looking at with him? Uh, certainly uh, some conversations going on with him and his future with IndyCar Carr and, and how he's being looked at. So where we look for him to be at in August.
8: I got to say his stock is falling and it's falling rapidly. And I hate saying that, but he's, it seems mm-hmm. like Indy's gotten into his head. He was a non-factor in the I Racing Challenge. He only has a limited schedule right now with the team, obviously. And obviously, he's now hurt that his home race has been up uh, off the schedule. No Toronto this year. So uh, I think you got a very frustrated guy, and uh, I think the last place he would like to end up is Indy. I mean, obviously, you'd hope third time's the charm, but uh, the last two years have been a nightmare for him at the Brickyard.
1: Sure has absolutely, and you know uh, what a nice guy that is. I really like James Hinscliff. He's a, a he's a real good guy, a real pleasurable guy to talk to. And uh, I I just hope he, I just hope he catches a break. That's, that's for sure. Let's talk a little bit about Felix Rosenfeld. Ro- he's from Sweden. He was a rookie last year. I'm not sure if he lives in the states. He might be one of
8: those that are affected by this uh, travel ban. I believe he is in the Indianapolis area or close to Ass's shop, sure, okay. so I do not believe that he would be affected. He was not one of them on the list. Oh, okay. Okay.
6: So let's talk a little bit about
1: Graham Rahal, Rahal Letterman Racing, and uh, looking forward to uh, August
8: and where we're going to be at with them. Need to see more aggression from Graham if he's going to contend for an Indy win. It seems like he just takes too passive. He shows aggressive at the other races, but then takes more of a quiet tone at Indy, and it seems to affect him uh, as far as his uh, ability to be a contender. Now, granted, he did have a top-five finish this past year, but uh, I think uh, I still need to see some more aggression from Graham if uh, he's going to be a contender to join his father as an Indy winner.
1: ed carpenter uh
8: i think right now he and new garden if you're looking for a new winner those are probably the two best bets to do it i mean he's been close several times uh i think he just needs the brakes to fall his way eventually i think the stars will align for him the question is when is as uh, if at this point and uh i mean he will be a contender in qualifying no doubt about it and uh be very curious to see though what he does uh, maybe he calls upon his butt his uh, former teammate J.R. Hildebrand to fill VK to uh, if uh, the travel van doesn't clear up before Texas.
1: Let's uh, kind of talk a little bit about the Indianapolis 500 and the history of the track and the history. It's just something very surreal. If you've never been to the Indianapolis motor speedway, it is just something special. I know a lot of, uh, uh, fans plan to go out to speedway on Sunday. They can't get on the grounds, but, uh, certainly the town of speedway and parking lots that are around as long as they maintain proper social distancing are allowing them to, to tailgate. Obviously the, um, 1070, the fan local here is going to be running uh, racing all day today and all day tomorrow. They'll be running the 2016 and the 2019 race. Uh, So let's, uh, let's just talk a little bit about the Indianapolis 500 and our memories of the Indianapolis 500. Matthew, how long have you been going out there?
8: I've been covering practice annually and qualifying since 2005, and I've been to every race since 2012. My first race attendance was 2008, the year Dixon won.
1: I have been going to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway since I was a child. And my, my uh, uh, grandparents uh, lived uh, close to Speedway. Uh, so we used to go with my uh, uh, grandfather. And I'll tell you what, that was back in the day when they called qualifying time trials. And that was back in the day when Carb Day actually meant they adjusted their carburetors. What do you think is the best uh, race of all, of all time? Uh, there at the Indianapolis Five Hundred
8: that I watched or attended personally, uh, either or. I would say either nineteen eighty nine when Mo and Al Unser Jr. Get, came into contact and Mo won, or in ninety two the year Unser Jr. barely held off Scott Goodyear.
1: Well, I have to say, probably one of the greatest, and in, in that goes it goes back a few a few years, uh, but it, it but uh, certainly. Um when uh Alexander Rossi uh came back to win the race and, and basically uh just uh, he I believe he passed Graham Rahal. i have to double check on that. But Alexander Rossi winning in his rookie year was an incredible race.
8: Oh, on fuel mileage where he putted across the finish line, you mm-hmm. mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, you're thinking the one where hey. Ray Hall got passed. That was 2000. That's right. Year Weldon got by Ray Hall, that's and then Hildebrand hit the ball, and then Weldon out ran Hildebrand to the line.
1: You know, I'm glad the you one bring. Referring. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up Dan Weldon, man. I I remember that guy too. I mean, I just had an opportunity to talk with him, and he was just a, a a a very funny guy with a very funny British accent, and just was just a, a great uh guy and you know many times got an opportunity to talk with him out of the track he was very very personable but he was a good good racer and he was a good he was a good part of the indianapolis 500 uh dan weldon in the indianapolis 500 talk about that
8: i tell you he was quite the character and unfortunately he left us way too soon uh I mean, you talk about the British stars that have been here. Obviously, Weldon being a two-time winner, Dario Franchitti winning the race three times, uh, Nigel Mantle coming very close to winning in the two times he attended in 93 and 94. Obviously, Jimmy Clark winning back in 65, Hill winning in 66. And uh, I think there were several others that had, had they gotten more opportunity, let's say like a Darren Manning maybe, and uh, some of the others down the line, uh we could have had a few more Brits uh, find the winner's circle. But, uh, yeah, Dan was quite a character. And uh, I tell you, he held it one with class uh, the year that Danica got all the attention. I mean, yeah, he stepped aside and gave Danica, you know, the media attention. But he took the win in stride and uh, certainly uh, had quite a career, unfortunately. uh, Too bad what happened in Vegas. Otherwise, he'd still be here potentially and still be contending. And maybe, who knows, maybe even winning possibly three, if not four Indy 500s.
1: Oh man, I remember that day and watching it on on television, and uh, it was just you knew you just knew something had happened just by the way that that the media was handling it and stuff, and it was just a uh, a sad sad thing. We had an opportunity to to do a little quick special about it as it as right after it happened. So uh, yeah, it was a it was it was crazy. I that was that was one of the. The uh, few drivers that I've got a chance to know that that, that passed uh, passed away. You know, another kind of a funny uh, win. If you remember back in 1985, Danny Sullivan's spin win. Now, of course, you and I know this because we 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 know NASCAR and IndyCar, but. An open-wheel car is different than NASCAR or stock car. In NASCAR, you can rub fenders and make contact and keep going. In IndyCar, because Indy is so fragile, any spin or any contact with anything usually means you're out of the race. But remember what what Danny Sullivan did while leading lap 120 was something that really a lot of people had a hard time believing they were even watching. Mario Andretti surely couldn't believe it, and he did. He, he, he tapped just enough, spun around, and uh, was able to pass Andrade 20 laps later to win his only Indianapolis 500. Do you, do you recall that race with Danny Sullivan? Spin and win, as they call it.
8: Yeah, actually, at that point, actually... Sullivan actually thought it was close to the finish. That's why he made the aggressive move the way he did, trying to go underneath the white line, didn't get the job done. Thankfully, he avoided the wall. Mario avoided him. And I remember during the – I remember having that thing in the 80s and Derek Walker saying – Danny saying, oh, it's okay. I'm coming in. It's me. It's me. And then Derek – the crew said, what did he just say? I mean, they couldn't even (laughs) think – remember, they didn't have live television or the pits back then. And then they find yep. out later in the race that he spun. It's like, did he really? And I mean, they even talked about during the encore, because they showed it, they, it was a completely, uh, you know, blocked in the Indianapolis area, and they didn't actually see the incident until they had the reshow. Well, actually, this was before live television, the last year before they had his live TV in 86. So even they were a nod at the fact that he kept it going at that point. I tell you what, one of the greatest storytellers
1: that you'll ever hear, and I I know you've heard him, but I I certainly love to listen to him, is Donald Davidson. And he was on the radio here locally um, with Kevin Lee um, and – the other evening he was telling a story about in 1912 the indianapolis 500 ralph de palma literally tried to push his way to victory in 1911 the indianapolis 500 was usually highly regarded as a great race because it was the first but that was back when they had your mechanic rode in the car with you so many times things have changed and and certainly his car was breaking down and and uh, and uh, He he tried all he could, you know, to win, but finally stopping with a lap and a half to go, the Palm and his riding mechanic get out and push the car uh, uh, across uh, uh, the uh, the, the start finish line. And uh, I can't remember did he win that race or not, but it was just if you can just imagine.
8: it worse? Uh huh. Well, off the Palm only completed 199 laps. And you only got money if you completed all 500 miles, 200 laps. So despite Ralph Balford persevering through mechanical problems and taking eight hours and 59 minutes to finish the race, the longest distance for a race finisher in history as far as time, Balford got money. Ralph De Palma did, left the track with a broken down car and zilch in terms of uh, money. Well, there's just so many
1: stories, and I would encourage you to listen to Donald Davison. He can tell a story like you never have before. And it was just when he was telling that story. It was just like you can you can just like physically see somebody trying to push the car. Uh, to the To the victory And that that was just something so uh, bizarre. Of course, back in those days, also that was when we had some of the worst tragedies uh, with with the track, you know. And if we remember the huge fire that uh, that happened, I've seen that on on the different uh, tapes with the with the old the old cars. Man, something else. But uh, you know, we were talking earlier. Have you seen the Last Dance with Michael Jordan, uh, Matt? No, I
8: haven't. Oh, okay.
1: Well, it's it's a documentary or autobiography. The good thing about it is that it's kind of done in a thirty for thirty series type uh, format type setup, if you will. Um, and so we were just kind of talking earlier with Mo, and I was talking with um, with Steve, and, and about who, and we were talking about Tom Brady, you know, being with the NFL. If we look at at the top. Uh, IndyCar drivers of all time, and and when we it's to put a story together of their life, who would be a couple that would be your top on the list that you would like to see that happen, whether it be like a thirty for thirty uh, type of uh, special or a, uh, a documentary or autobiography uh, done very similar to the Last Dance. What IndyCar driver? Uh, would you or Indy 500 winner maybe even would be the better question since we're talking about the Indy 500 uh, of the best of all the best of Indy 500 winners who would who would you like to see maybe in the top of that list?
8: If you're talking about all around drivers, uh, I would say Boyd or Andretti. If you're talking mm-hmm. Indy 500, I would say Rick Mears.
2: Uh, oh yeah, there definitely
8: was Rick Mears. About him being one of the coolest cats in there, and in fact, I don't even know if you have the book and i don't know if they even make it anymore but if they do if you can find it at your local bookstore get it it's the roots tales from the indy 500 and it talks about uh rick beers just chilling you know just having a beer taking it easy after a practice session and just taking it easy for years until that bad crash he had in practice in 91 and 92 right around the time he hung up his helmet uh, not only one of the most determined drivers in indie history and aggressive but uh probably one of the great personalities and the coolest cats in the business as well, as far as uh, drivers go during that era.
1: Oh, Rick Mears would definitely be uh, a hook, a hooker for me. I would love that. And, and I, I see him every year out of the track, obviously he's still part of the Penske organization. And you know, another cat that I just think, man, this guy, he, he had, he had it all. And he, you talk about a guy that could cuss, he was mean, he was a tough driver, but he was, he was a good driver. And he, and he's certainly one of the most memorable people out of Indianapolis, uh, 500. And that's AJ Foyt. What do you think about him?
8: Very interesting stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff about root being one of the few guys that had the guts to even interview it at that point. In fact, I said, uh, if you have A.J. Foyt, in fact, I think they, they initially, ABC was going to hire A.J. Foyt. They asked Aroot, uh, what are you going to do? Well, I'd interview him. And that's all he said, mm. <laughs> funny enough. But, uh, yeah, it was very things going on uh, with Uh, during that time not only was he making a name for himself at Indy in IndyCar he was also successful in NASCAR he won in sports car at Le Mans Uh, so he certainly and Daytona so he certainly made himself out pretty good and uh, did things uh, when more than just IndyCar in dirt track racing Uh, he was an all-around driver and probably a driver that because of contracts and teams getting worried about drivers going elsewhere and getting hurt uh, probably going to be the last uh, all-arounder that could do anything and everything uh, during a single season of racing.
1: Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, joins us uh, today on uh, Memorial Day weekend as we would be getting ready for the Indianapolis 500 this weekend. Tomorrow um, would have been the race, uh, but uh, we're, we're just taking some time to remember the uh, Indianapolis 500 and our Cardiff. Cars are filled with 33. Unfortunately, we are out of
8: time. Matthew, where can people find your work in masterpieces, sir? M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y on Twitter. And uh well, take it easy right now. It's back to try my luck in You Don't Know Jack Sports. Bought that uh C D ROM uh week a end ago and been playing that. Uh, so been testing my oh, sports technology cool. in a little bit of an interesting way.
1: Nice. All right, buddy, well, you have yourself a good holiday weekend, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, get together in August when, when we're all back out of the track again.
8: Thanks, Tom.
1: Matthew Embry uh, joins us as we kind of reflect on the Indianapolis 500. Uh, certainly going to be missed out there. But, hey, uh, it's a positive uh, lining in the, in the cloud, if you will. Um, we'll be
8: back in, in August. Well, Tom, the question I think on – well, that was the wrong button to push.
2: <laughs>
1: My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Uh, I hope everybody has a nice and safe, uh, happy uh, uh, holiday. It's, I know it's a little bit different, a little bit different than what we normally would be doing on Memorial Day week he- here in Indy. But uh, just make sure you have a, a safe time, a good time with friends and family. Remember, don't drink a drive It isn't Cool. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to download the podcast and all your podcast outlet formats and follow us on Twitter and Facebook.
4: us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at
8: www.TheBalanceOnline.com.
2: Okay, round two.
1: Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club!